alligator in alignment. They call me the alligator. Let me tear my tail. I've been up, down, around the block. I reached for heaven. I fell in hell. My baby asked me for 15 minutes. I gave her hour and 45. And if you think I'm that good a lover, stick around. I'll tell you some other lies. Yes, I'm the alligator. Rapping to you. Oh, yeah. Well, good day, good day, good day, everyone. I got a wonderful show today. I'm telling you the truth. This is going to be a heavy. Um, before I do anything else, though, here's what I'm going to do for you. You remember I did a, a show on Babe Stovall, this old blues uh, blues man from out of Delta Blues man from out of uh, New Orleans, originally from Mississippi. But I did a, a show on him, and one of the things that I miss saying in that show that I neglected to, sh to say is you remember the song Joe Bojangles, Mr. Bojangles. Uh, I think I forget who wrote that song, Jerry Jeff Walker, somebody. But Babes, that song, uh, I've heard it since the song came out, so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's true. That song was wrote by him meeting Babe Stovall, the same gentleman that I was telling you about. Um, so just because that that's uh, in, here's what I'm going to do for you to start this show off.
look to me to be the eyes of age as he spoke right out he talked of life talked of life <laughs> then he shook his clothes all around Mr. Bojanger, babe. Mr. Bojanger. Mr. Bojanger, come on and dance. Dance, dance, dance. Come on and dance, Mr. Bojanger. Dance, dance, dance. Come on and dance. That song was wrote about Babe Stovall, the blues man who I had uh, did a show on. Um, right now, here's what we're gonna do. I've got a very special guest today. Now I'm just realizing right now <laughs> that I don't even know my friend's last name. So I'm going to let him tell you what his last name is. But anyway, um, I'd like to have my friend Ted come. Sit down. I'm going to dance right over here, alligator. <laughs> yeah. Ted, tell us something about yourself. First of all, what's your last name? Shuttler. Ted Shuttler. Ted Shuttler. Yeah. Ted Shuttler. And can you give us a little bit about your background? Well, uh, I, I'm a physician. Uh, no longer in clinical practice, uh, but about 25 years ago, or 30 years ago, because of a real strong and growing interest in public and environmental health, I got some more training in public health, and I've been doing public environmental health for a number of years now, and uh, that's the reason we're here together today, to talk about some of those, some of those topics. The last time we were together was Easter Sunday. It was. Over at Peter Turner's house. I did a show with him, Peter uh, Turner Arts Studio. And we were sitting there, and I looked at you, and I said, Ted, did you know that Stinson Beach, and I'm sure some of you know where Stinson Beach is. It's across Mount Tamalapias in, in Marin. That Stinson Beach has to move uh, the people who are living on the beach further up to the mountainside because they say in 25, 30 years, that whole area is going to be underwater. Now, that was what started us off on this conversation because I didn't realize how involved you were in it. But it just blew my mind that they're already making the plans. The plans are already in place to move these, these homes back closer to the mountain. So... To me, that's saying climate change is right in our lap. It's not uh, elsewhere. Then when you started talking about uh, your knowledge of it, so I'm going to just let you go for a bit. Could you help us well, out? Well, yeah. I mean, we, we, we were talking about the rising sea levels, which are going to flood these homes, and so they're going to have to move. Um, and, uh, you know, that's close to home, but... We're also here in California dealing with so many other uh, issues related to climate change. I mean, the last several years, we've had these enormous wildfires. 
uh, that have have destroyed entire communities uh, and killed a number of people. Uh, un unprecedented uh, wildfires uh, related to uh, both the way we're living on the land, but also the drought. We're we're in a 1,200-year drought right now in the Western United States. Much of that is undoubtedly related to climate change. So there are many different ways that climate change is already affecting us, uh, and it's only going to get worse. And so that was part of the conversation that we started having on, on, on uh, Easter, Easter Sunday. You mentioned something about a protest that, that hit me really hard. Could you tell the people about the protest that the scientists did recently? Yes, uh, we did mention that. Um, there, f there's been a, an effort going on for many years now called the uh, Intergovernmental uh, 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 Program on Climate Change, IPCC. It's a United Nations-sponsored uh, effort in which scientists have been getting together regularly. And, and I'm talking about hundreds of scientists from around the world who are experts in various aspects of climate change and climate-related topics. And they get together periodically and spend a lot of time writing reports that then get published. And they've been doing this for many, many years. And the latest IPCC report was published a couple of, or several months ago saying, you know, let's wake up, folks. Uh, the time is now. It's not later. The time is now. We are in crunch time. And if we don't act uh, uh, based on all we know, uh, we are in big, big trouble. And several scientists from that effort and uh, other scientists in the United States who were not authors of that, but were following this carefully, said, you know, I think we've had enough talk about this. We've been saying this for 25 years that this, this time is coming. Uh, and some of these scientists decided that they were no longer going to just sit around and write reports, but they were actually going to uh, conduct public protests. Some of them uh, went to New York uh, and literally super glued themselves to the side of buildings and to windows in buildings as a, as a public protest. Others in other parts of the country chained themselves to buildings uh, to, to, to make a public statement that this is this is serious, and it's time to stop talking, and it's time to start acting. So these public protests are becoming increasingly uh, more common around the country. With these protests, as I understand, were not only just in America; they were in Europe and and other countries that's, also. That's right. They were. Um, they were. And I and and I meant I know you said they said that they they're just uh, sick of all of the research, research, research. Without action. Yeah, without action. Yeah. I mean, the research is essential, but the story it's telling is compelling. Uh, there's no uncertainty about this anymore. There used to be some uncertainty, uh, you know, 30 years ago or so. Uh, we, we were seeing how things were evolving, and it was clear that we were on a particular trajectory, but it wasn't, we weren't certain exactly how rapidly it would unfold. But all of the worst, almost all of the worst predictions have come true. And there's much, much less uncertainty now. And, uh, and, and the, the rising sea levels, the droughts, the wildfires, uh, the, the heat waves. Uh, India, right, just this past week, is going through an unprecedented heat wave. 
uh, with people dying because of it. I mean, temperatures getting up to 120 degrees and staying there for days and days. Um, this is exactly what was predicted, and it's unfolding right now. You know, it, it, it's mind-boggling that with, with this condition right in our laps now, we still have deniers about climate change. And, and I am baffled by how could anybody be in denial about this. I think it has, like most things, at the bottom of it, it has to be money. That's money, yeah. It, it, it has to be money. Money seems to be the only thing that, as human beings, we tend to put above everything else, it seems like. Well, uh, yes, and let's and and let's go explore that a little bit. the The global warming that's going on uh, is largely due to our fossil fuel combustion, gas and oil and coal that we're burning. That's that's how we create energy, um, and um, we're burning fossil fuels, uh, and it's they, they are uh, they give off carbon dioxide when they burn and the carbon dioxide has gone into the atmosphere and it's trapping heat. Now, carbon dioxide is not the only greenhouse gas. Call those greenhouse gases because they trap the heat uh, down closer to the surface of the earth. Uh, another important uh, source is uh, agriculture and, uh, and, and methane from uh, animal agriculture. But these collectively uh, are, are, are sending the gases into the into the atmosphere which which warm the earth now we know how to we know what to do about this we have to stop burning fossil fuels uh, and we have to move toward renewable energy uh, and efficiencies and reform agriculture uh, in ways that get more carbon into the ground so we know what we need to do but when we start doing those things, this gets to the money issue because there's a lot of money behind fossil fuels. Getting it out of the ground and burning it for energy, it's an it's enormous amount of money involved. The same thing with industrial agriculture that's responsible for a lot of the carbon being get, gotten out of the soil as well as the industrial uh, production of, 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 uh, of, of cows, particularly cows, uh, on, on industrial feedlots. Uh, which is a source of methane and other greenhouse gases. But we know how to reform that, but there's a lot of money uh, that's dedicated to keeping the status quo in place because it's enriching a lot of, a, a large number of people. So I, I would agree with you that money is, is, is one of the major problems. Um, my goodness, you know, that's such, that's such a shame. That's such a shame that... Uh, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, might inherit an earth that's not uh, friendly, shall we say, to use a, a, a kind of word. Um, and as you say, we know what to do about it, but nobody is moving to do the right things. And it's because there's too much money made off of the fossil fuels. There's a lot of pressure. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of enthusiasm in in some groups of people and individuals to move in the right directions, but there's so much pushing back against that. Uh, and so, what we're seeing happen now is what many people are calling uh, false solutions. 
so for example, the oil and gas industry says, well, we, we, can, we can address this problem by capturing the carbon dioxide rather than releasing it into the atmosphere. It will capture the carbon dioxide and, and bury it underground or pump it into old oil wells to get, get the last little bit of oil out of that. But it's a way of, of, of prolonging the gas and oil industry by doing that rather than moving to alternatives, the renewables that we also are seeing a lot of interest in. I mean, uh, solar power, wind power in, in the United States and around the world is now far cheaper than it was just uh, 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, and there's a lot of enthusiasm for getting more of that uh, uh, deployed, which, which is good. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, we're not moving away from the, the, the fossil fuel combustion nearly as rapidly as we need to. Well, from, from some of the information you sent me, we need to move really quickly. That's what the IPCC report says. This is, this is crunch time. Yeah. If, we, if we don't, the, the, the IPCC report said, look, if, if we have not gotten our carbon dioxide releases down to zero uh, by 2050 and down 40% from where it is now by 2030, which is only 10 years or, or less than 10 years from now, Ooh. we're looking at about a three degree centigrade raise, rise in temperature, three degrees. The goal when IPCC started was not to exceed 1.5 degrees. Now we're looking at three degrees. Uh, and it's going to be, if that happens, it's going to make much of the world uninhabitable, not only for people, but for many other species as well. I mean, we're going to be seeing a huge die-off. Uh, we're going to be seeing uh, enormous amounts of migration by people who are going to suddenly have to move from where they now live because it will be uninhabitable. It will be too hot. There won't be enough water. They won't be able to feed themselves. There's going to be food insecurity. They're going to have to move. Um, and uh, the sad part of this is that in the human population, the people who are going to be most affected are going to be those who are uh, of low income, who have uh, uh, less means to uh, adapt and to move, uh, but they're going to be in a bind. So this is not going to affect everybody equally, and that's uh, what we will see unfold, whether it's flooding uh, from sea level rise or burned out villages and cities or uh, loss of food uh, sources, it will affect poor people more than it will people who are better off. That's, uh, doesn't that seem to be the way it is about just about everything? It seems that the, the downtrodden and the poverty stricken are the ones who actually suffer most. That's um, true. It's true. So there's a justice section to this climate change thing, also. Uh, yeah, it's part of the it's part of the uh, larger issue of uh, what many people call environmental justice, where uh, if you look uh, on a whole bunch of different environmental issues, you find that uh, people of lower income um, are often the people who uh, suffer the most from uh, environmental. Uh, pollution or or 
poor housing or or loss of, lack of health care or whatever it is. I mean, there there are injustices that are baked into the system, and climate change is is one more and is exposing a number of these. Is going to make a number of these other issues worse. So, I hope everybody who's listening. The one, the one thing that I found out when you sent me some material, I was, I was reading it and I was saying to myself, you know, the average Joe on the street is never going to hear this stuff. It's never going to hear it. Um, even the protests that the scientists did, why wasn't that front page news? Hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, that's a huge uh, thing. I mean, you know, you know for, for them to, to rebel in that type of way. To, to, to show the how urgent things are. And you don't see it on on the news. It should have been everywhere. Um, I suspect that uh, it was on some news outlets and not on others, which yeah. which which raises an important point about what who and what controls the media in our country and in other countries as well. Um, and what we've seen, of course, is a lot of polarization in the media in, in terms of what's reported and what's not reported. And we have to remember that that it was only a few years ago that we had a federal, an administration in this country, a president and an administration that were basically climate deniers, uh, that uh, uh, just ignored the data. Um, so there, there's a political dimension to this as well. Yeah, unfortunately, the t political dimension to this whole thing is going to bury us. Well, that's yeah. the risk, isn't it? Yes, that's the yes. risk. Yes, because as the as the greenhouse gases continue to go up, they are relentlessly going up uh, around the world, uh, despite all our intentions or. Or, or talking, sweet talk about it, they continue to relentlessly go up. We continue to burn the fossil fuels. Um, uh, uh, it is going to bury us. Because we're not willing to make the, the tough decisions. Um, someone has, something has to be done to wake governments up that there's no, there's no future for mankind if we continue like this. You know, I mean, I, I don't want I don't want my ch my grandchildren, or at, at at this point, my children could even end up like that, uh, having to wear gas masks just to go outside, or you know, um, unless we do something now, as the scientists are telling us, later it goes over the tipping point. That's right. Yeah. And once it goes over that tipping point. Uh, like they say, stick a fork in us because we're done. Well, the tipping point, I, the tipping point is a really important point to talk about because uh, as as the world warms, as the, we're, we're getting more and more thawing of, of uh, like permafrost, for example, up in the Arctic, which which allows a lot of methane that has been stored in below the surface, frozen below the surface for millennia begins to seep out. And once that gets going, uh, even if we were to stop all fossil fuel burning, 
that methane would continue to come out and create a feedback loop so it would, it would contribute to even more and more warming. And once that happens, uh, then we've lost the capacity to act because it's, it's, it's now a natural event that's, 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 that's spinning out of control. So that, that's a tipping point, and we hope we haven't been, gotten there yet. Uh, there's, the IPCC says we still have time to act, but we have to, we have to act in, in, in dramatic ways now. Uh, but I, I'm suspicious that if we don't do uh, what is recommended, uh, that another IPCC report or two is going to say, you know, we're now in this positive feedback loop. We've gone over the tipping point. And now it's just it's, it's going to feed upon itself. Feeds on itself, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I hope I hope everyone out there is listening. I hope government officials, if you get a chance to view this, you know, give it some give it some thought. We we want this. We've been given this great planet. You know, call it God or whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to call it. But everything is perfect here for us. Everything is perfect. Um, and there's, a, there's some kind of intelligence in that. Because we can say, boom, the Big Bang. Uh, but to, to look at Earth, it's like saying, we have a Big Bang or you throw a puzzle into a tornado. And you mean to tell me that once that tornado does its thing and, and the puzzle falls to the ground, it's going to fall and all the pieces are going to get right in place to make a perfect picture? That's what happened here, so there's some kind of intelligence behind that. So I'm, you know, I'm not going to get off off into to that. Uh, but this beautiful blue planet that we have here, all we have to do is do as we were supposed to be stewards of the land, not dominance. If we treat the earth right. The earth is like, it's like our bodies. It's very resilient. It will bounce back if you don't go too far. Am I correct with that? Well, and I, I, I think that the earth is incredibly resilient, but the, the, the challenge for us is, you know, climate change un, un, unfolds the way it's apparently unfolding. The Earth may not be hospitable to us anymore. The Earth will go on uh, far more impoverished because not only humans will find it uninhabitable, but many other species, uh, both animal and plants as well, will also not be able to survive in, in an overheated planet. But something will survive. There will still be an Earth, but it won't be a home as, for as, us. As, yes. Yeah. You know what I've always said to since I was a little boy, I, I came to the conclusion that in the circle of life, every time you lose a plant or a certain animal, it creates a glitch mm. in, in the circle of life. However, human beings are the only creatures on this earth that if you totally remove them from existence on this earth, there won't be a glitch. The earth will actually benefit from our removal. 
Yeah, uh, 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 a scientist who recently passed away, E.O. Wilson, who was well known to many, many people for a very long and illustrious career, made arguments toward the end of his life that we ought to be actually thinking about taking up to half the earth and just removing humans from it. Um, obviously that would have major impact on how humans, where humans go and how they live with each other and so on, but, but uh, his point was that, just to follow on exactly what you were saying, that if, if, if a substantial portion of the earth did not have humans on it, we would, we would, we would preserve far more species and far more complex uh, designed ecosystems uh, than the way we're going about it now. Of course, it was controversial, but he was making exactly the point that you're making. Yes, yeah. yes. The so many things are being done now uh, to try to help, but not, but, but not enough. And the reason that uh, it all goes back to money. It all, it all, it all goes back to money. And uh, how do you? How do you change something when money seems to be more important than the future? Yeah, I, I, that's an important point that, that uh, the, 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 our systems, our political systems, our economic systems are not designed to value the future out several generations. They're, they're, they're totally designed for shorter term. Uh, I mean, the political uh, cycle is very short term. The politicians are interested in re-election in the next election cycle. They're not thinking out 30 or 40 years. They're not thinking out three generations. Uh, we don't we don't set our economy up in a way that uh, we devalue. It, in fact, uh, 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 expenses that are incurred by future generations because they're out there in the future somewhere. So we discount those. We we give primacy to the to, to the. Uh, uh, what's going on now. So we're, we're, we're simply not wired somehow to think about uh, several generations out and the world that we're leaving to, to unborn children. But that's what we're doing. That's exactly what we're, we're acting on now. We're influencing now with our activities that we're, or our decisions that we're making these days. What what could what message would you have for just general people? How well, with regard to climate change, uh, we need to both prepare ourselves for what's coming, but also to try to prevent what we can. So that's both adapting to what's coming, but also building in you know uh, uh, resilience and mitigation to try to make it less likely. From the standpoint of individual activities, I mean, one of the things, I, I, I mean, it comes down to uh, how do we reduce fossil fuel combustion? That, that's the that's the uh, that's that's a major contributor. I mean, that's the primary source. Uh, I mean, if you look at the various sources of greenhouse gases, fossil fuel combustion is far and away the biggest contributor. Uh, so, how do what are we doing? We're we're burning it in our cars. We're heating our homes, we're cooling our homes with, with fossil fuels, um, and uh, we're running our businesses uh, on fossil fuels in many cases. So what we can do both individually and as communities uh, and as businesses 
is to begin to move toward renewable energy. Uh, what, what does that mean? Well, we're seeing right now a lot of emphasis on moving us toward uh, electric cars in this country because they can be recharged with energy that's generated by uh, solar and wind power. Uh, that's why we're moving, seeing an emphasis on moving toward electric cars. But we, but we have we have a lot of changes that we could be making. I mean, our travel habits. Uh, we get in airplanes and burn up a lot of fuel flying around to various places. We've learned during the COVID pandemic that a lot of this travel isn't necessary. That we can do more of it by uh, internet, um, and that's something that we ought to continue to do. Um, so, in our own individual choices and community choices, thinking about how do we move toward renewable uh, energy sources. But I would also point out that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that um, that our food production system is also a source of greenhouse gases, both because it, it depends on a lot of fossil fuel combustion for producing crops and for transporting them around the country and around the world, but also the uh, um, methane um, and other greenhouse gases that come out of industrial meat production in the in, in these industrial feedlots. Um, and so uh, it's very clear from uh, well-designed research and published in, in, in peer-reviewed journals that if we changed our dietary patterns so that we consumed less meat and moved towards more plant-based diets, that that could have an enormous impact on, on the uh, greenhouse gases that come out of the agricultural system. So those are, those are uh, changes that we can make, and, and many individuals and businesses are. Uh, I work, for example, with a, a coalition uh, and an organization called Healthcare Without Harm that is trying to, that is quite successfully actually, uh, trying to modify uh, certain practices in the healthcare industry to reduce the environmental footprint of hospitals and other healthcare facilities as they deliver care. And um, there are many, uh, many hospitals uh, in the United States now that uh, are adopting practices that are focusing on how do we reduce so-called climate footprint. Uh, how do we reduce our energy consumption? Uh, uh, how do we reduce the climate uh, impact of all the things that we purchase, including food? Uh, and so now we're beginning to see hospitals around the country uh, make purchasing decisions where they're uh, uh, deciding how, how do we alter our menus so that we're, 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 we're buying less meat that's responsible for so much of the greenhouse gas emissions and move towards plant-based, more plant-based or plant-forward diets that are tasty and uh, that people enjoy, but have a much smaller climate footprint. So we're seeing it both, both at the individual level, but also at the community and business level, there are some uh, efforts going on to try to, to reduce this, this impact. But we, we still have to get back to this, this going in, drilling and mining fossil fuels that we just bring up to the surface and burn and create the greenhouse gases that are making this whole thing continue to churn. And the, there are those who, I have friends like that, who just say, we're paying so much for gas, we need to 
get we need to drill for more oil. We need to drill yeah. for, for for more oil. Yeah. Um, immediate gratification and no no sense whatsoever of what's down the road. You know, it, it's a very short-sighted, almost blind way of, of, of living. Well, uh, and, and at the same time, I, I, I understand the, the argument because now we find ourselves in the middle of a political and, and now a, a war going on in Europe that has disrupted uh, the supply of oil and gas and so on, and, and even coal has been influenced. Uh, and people do struggle paying high prices for gas, which has suddenly gone, gone up for several reasons, but the war among them. Um, and, and if your salary hasn't increased and you got to get to work, the $6 a gallon gasoline hurts. Uh, uh, so you can understand why somebody might say, well, we've got to go drill for more and try to get the... Mm -hmm. So uh, we, we have to appreciate the struggles that people have. At the same time, we have to be putting in place uh, uh, with a longer view of how do we get, how do we get ourselves to a more electrified uh, transportation system that can be run more on renewables and less on oil um, and uh, do that in a way that's got some sense of fairness and justice about it as well. It's a struggle, but uh, I do appreciate this, the, what some people are facing as they're, they get up to go to work and, and, uh, uh, and the high prices at the gas pump are, are, are painful. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But my, my attitude is I'm willing to suffer whatever I have to, not only for uh, the climate change, but also for the war in Ukraine. You know, these yeah. people are fighting, fighting for their freedom. If we think we are suffering, think about how much they, yeah. they are suffering. Yeah. So, so you know, I'm willing to, I don't like it either, but I'm willing to take the, the hit uh, financially because it's needed. It's needed. Ted, I told you when we decided to do this that we was going to break your thing up into three different parts. I think we have covered a good part now. Maybe next time we'll cover the uh, the food and the financial thing to do with that. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we and we'll break this up into three three different uh, sections. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, enlightening me and others. Well, thanks for the invitation. Yes, I've enjoyed it. Yes. Uh, we, we're going to get you back real, real. In fact, I'll probably be back in a couple of weeks and <laughs> we'll do another one. Um, so anyway, I hope you people out there have been really paying attention to the information that, that Ted's given us. He's someone who actually knows what he's talking about. Um, and those of you who are still climate change deniers, uh, all I can say is, wake up, wake up, you know, uh, time's, time's slipping and we don't have much time now to work on, on this. We, we, we have to move, not only as individuals, but the uh, governments have to make the hard choices. We have to make the hard choices because otherwise life as for human beings, life is not going to be easy on this earth. And we've had a wonderful 
run for however long we've been on this planet. And, and the earth has always supported us and provided us with everything that we needed. But right now, Mother Earth is ill. And we need to treat her like the mother that she is. If your mother is ill, you want to see her well. You want to do whatever you can to get her to be a nurturer of human beings again. So, my friend, I thank you for your insights and for your, your time. I'm going to go back and do one more song for these folks, and we're going to call it a thing. Good to see you. Yes, here. yes. Thanks very much. Ted will be back a couple of more times at least. We, we may even stretch it more because this is really, really, really important. You know, if, if you, I mean, what can I say? I'm going to say it again. This is really important. I saw a thing on television the other night about the Colorado River. The Colorado River is warming very fast. And they're losing water because it's warming so fast that that causes the condensation to happen at a faster rate. Right. And they said about 20% of the water from the Colorado River we're not getting because of condensation. Cattle ranchers and the people who depend on that river are realizing now that they have to cut their herds in half. They have to do it because the river's not going to support the the way things have been going on. That's the drought, yeah. And these are the these are, are things that, as human beings, we have to really wake up and be alarmed about this. We we can't shove it underneath the rug, because the rug is full, the rug is full, and stuff stuff gonna start spilling out. We know that as much as we thought that the the glaciers would melt. They are melting at a much faster rate than, than we thought. All of, all of these signs are desperate signs. And I think this is, so far, this is definitely the most important show that, that I've done. And I'm looking forward to doing more. Good to see you. Okay. I'm going to go on and do this little song for y'all. And we're going to call this one a day. Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash recorded this song. I don't know if I did this song over the over this show or not. I hope I didn't. Johnny Cash recorded this song in the sixties, late sixties or early seventies or something. Uh, but Ray Charles, a rhythm and blues artist, didn't know that Johnny Cash had recorded this song. He liked the song and he recorded it also. Now, what happened was that both of those songs hit the airwaves at the same time over the radio stations. And as good as Johnny Cash was, I love him to death, but he couldn't compete with Ray Charles. They both hit the airwaves at the same time. Johnny's version went right down the tubes, and Ray Charles had one of the biggest hits of his entire career. I'm going to do the Johnny Cash version. Here we go. Let's see what we can get with this. A little bit more. Johnny Cash. 
Well, my bills are all due. The baby needs shoes, and I'm busted. Cotton is down to a quarter a pound. Lord, and I'm busted. I got a cow that went dry, a hen that won't lay. Big stack of bills that gets bigger each day. The county's gonna haul my belongings away. Lord, cause I'm busted. So what did I do? I went to my brother to ask for a loan. I was busted. And that was hard for me to do cause I'm a proud man. And I hate to be like a dog without a bone. Lord, but I'm busted. My brother said there ain't a thing I can do. My wife and my kids all down with the flu. And I was just thinking about calling on you. Lord, cause I'm busted. Billy the Kid. The food we can, last summer is all gone. Lord, and I'm busted. The fields are all bare, the cotton won't grow. Me and my family, we got to pack up, Lord, we gotta go. But I'll make a living just where I don't know. Lord, cause I'm busted. Listen, here's what I'm going to tell y'all. I hope you have really paid attention to this, uh, this little show that we had. It's very, very important. Meanwhile, I got to go. Call me the alligator Let me tell my tale I've been up, down, around the block I reached for heaven, I fell here in hell You might like Beethoven But the blues is what I do And if you don't want it, I'm like Walt Disney I said, Donald Duck, you Call me the alligator let me tell my tale Happy trails Happy trails to you 
until we meet again. Happy trails to you. Happy trails. Once again, alligator, I will be bringing Ted back. See y'all next time. You hear me? <laughs>